as you progress, most people would go the opposite way. They'd give you more work, less rest, but as we discussed, we actually want to go the other way. So the more efficient you become in the, in the way to understand how to do the exercises, the, the harder you can go and the faster you can go and the heavier loads you can go because you're more movement efficient. And that's the way you can increase the intensity. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Line Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Craig. And today, once again, it is my great pleasure to bring on uh, kind of a, a usual guest now. I feel like, I don't know, Jay Leno, like who did Jay Leno have on a lot or Johnny Carson or Dave Letterman? You know, it's just like the usual. Hang hosting us now, maybe. Or like- right. Yeah. You just keep coming back. And I mean, we keep inviting you like. It'll it's be like your 25th episode. showing up and people think I'm supposed to be there. Right. I, I tuned in because I thought Josh was going to be here, but oh, no, it's just Corey. Um, so as you can hear by his lovely voice, Josh Henkin, owner, creator, um, CEO. I don't, what are all your titles at DVRT? You're just the king. I, I, I'm the only person that wants to do it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't delegate that responsibility. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so we are excited to have Josh here. And you know, this this topic that we, we've got in mind for you guys out there, it really plays close to my heart. Um, so we know this in the DVRT world or at Fitness Line Down as MRT. Now, the ongoing joke, though, Josh, is in Fitness Line Down, at Fitness Line Down, MRT has also been known as Megan's Rockstar Training. <laughs> so, um, stuff. well, that's it. It's like I, I take a backseat to Megan here at Fitness Line Down. People come in, they think they're working with Megan, they see me, and they're just like, oh, you're not Megan. Um, so, but not, not Megan's rockstar training, unless you're a fitness line down, or if you are in a session with Megan, um, but it's known as metabolic resistance training where other people would know this as, well, we'll talk about HIT high intensity training versus HIIT high intensity interval training. Um, I've even heard it before HIIRT high intensity interval resistance training or hurt. Um, and then I've, I always enjoy the um, the stupid high intensity interval training, but we'll leave that aside. Um, so I wanted let's just delve right in. What where did we get into the fitness industry where we had to start coming up with high intensity training or high intensity interval training? And maybe you could help break up what is the difference between the one eye. Well, I think when you look back, oh, like where where did high intensity interval training stem from? I think it was I believe it was track and field, like uh, sprinters. And so forth to develop work capacity to do you know their sprint work uh they realized like you just didn't keep running the same distances all the time you had to improve different qualities like speed and but you didn't want to do like a sprinter doesn't want to develop a ton of aerobic capacity they don't need that they don't need the aerobic capacity that let's say a, a marathon runner needs but they still need to be able to recover quickly because you know a that improves their kind of their engine uh that they have but also you know you know corey probably from experience like you know, in track and field, you have to do repeated bouts. You don't do just one sprint and you're done for the day. Um, you'd sprint and then, you know, hours go by and then you have to do it again and whatever. So I, it came from the world of track and field. And, you know, as far as it trickling down to fitness, I, I think it started happening in the late nineties. Um, there was some initial research coming out from Washington state um, showing how, because typically I think most of us, you know, when we thought of traditional quote unquote cardio, that we were all talking about fat burning zones, right? Remember the, the fat oh, yeah. we're still around today. Um, so the idea was that if you work at a certain percentage of your heart rate, that you were burning more fat as your energy rather than carbohydrates. And so I remember, you know, you probably remember too, the treadmills or the cardio equipment that would actually tell you what your, you know, fat burning zone should be and so For forth. Sure. Uh, and then, you know, this research came out and showed that, you know, even though the total core expenditure during a session was lower with HIT training, they ended up actually losing more body fat. And it also, so it blew away the idea of traditional aerobic training from two aspects. One, I think the idea that um, there's a fat burning zone that really makes a difference. And two, that, um, that when you, that you have to expend a certain amount of calories during your training session, that's, that's the most important part. And we were kind of short-sighted in that regards um, so I think what ended up happening with that study is that we started to reevaluate both. And so people started um, looking at, is HIT actually a better way for fat loss than the traditional aerobics that we all 
remember because I remember being in college, you would you know lift for forty five minutes an hour, then you do forty five minutes of like your cardio, right? And that was right. like, two hours of your training time. <laughs> this started, I think, you know, really helping fitness professionals out because. I mean, Corey, you, you, you can maybe speak to this. Like, you know, when, when you think about the amount of times you actually get to have with people, you need to really maximize that time. And so this started looking as a way to, we could create much more efficient workouts because we could combine these elements. We could build, you know, we could still achieve strengths, but we could achieve the fat loss goals and so forth. So like, like on average, how many times do you see a client a week? Yeah. I mean, two times average, like yeah. I, that's, and that's a, that's a, a conservative average, I would say, maybe a liberal, maybe a liberal average. Like, yeah, we see people, well, no, you know, I'm going to stick with two <laughs> average wise. Dude, I think there's a good number for most like gyms. They would agree that like it's two, maybe three, if they're lucky, you know, right. there's some level. that are just a one time. And I mean, that's great yeah. as well, but then you have to be more efficient with that time. Right. Like if I'm going to see you least, I'm taking care of all the things that we need to do. Right. And so, I mean, I think, you know, early in the, in the early 2000s, it was like very revolutionary to like, put this out there because, uh, you know, it, it went against the grain so much. And then I think around 2010-ish, it started becoming more accepted and you start seeing it in all the magazines. And then, of course, like all ideas in fitness, I think it started getting distorted and confused. And No, not right. in the fitness industry. Right. So I, I think that's the, the short of it. And, and I just think, there's a lot of misconceptions and now we're seeing it like now people are circling back being kind of critical about it. So, you know, I, I think it's just a lot of his context and understanding, you know, the intent and how to execute it properly. Isn't that something? Yeah. Context is always key. Yeah. You know, actually having nuanced or conversations, whatever. <laughs> and do you think that's kind of where the, like the boot camps became popular too, right? I mean, we're talking about like, I don't, when did that trend start? Like 2010 ish. I mean, was that around there? Well, you know, I'm old enough to remember, like, I mean, I can remember the outdoor boot camps before. It was just a way to, like, you know, charge a little, but you get enough people to make it worth your while. Like, I remember this one woman, one time I was talking to her that she had gone to this boot camp for a while. She was like $5 a class. And then when the boot camp instructor made it $10, she, like, was out. Um <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I obviously, you know, we could get into that whole rigmarole, but I think boot camps have always been around because they were just that, right? You can... You, you cost entry that like if you weren't providing a service you thought was really worthwhile well yeah charging people more than five bucks didn't seem like you should be but i think as the profession grew and the knowledge level of coaches grew then it, it should reflect that in you know not that boot camps aren't valuable anymore but i get what you're saying like now people do like hour-long tabata which isn't a thing um and we'll so talk about that i'm sure yeah i think boot camps just jumped on it as a way to market to like try to separate themselves like oh we do hit we do tabata we do this and you know i think that was just the new marketing aspect for boot camps right and we have a like a friend well we have a couple of franchise boot camps here in town you know that are nationwide i think it came out of the carolinas or something but one of their coaches i i she was a student at uwl at the same time as well she reached out to me and asked if she can shadow a couple of our group sessions and i said absolutely and I said, you might want to come to one of our, at the time we were holding like an MRT the, or the high intensity interval training session. And I said, you might want to come and check that one out. And she came and I mean, it was a pretty uh, well-attended class. And I, I, if I remember correctly, we did like the 15 on 45 off. And she couldn't, she couldn't wrap her mind around the fact that people could actually get a good workout by doing that. And I asked her about third time protocols. I said, so when you're doing your, uh, whatever you do for your time, like how much seconds do you usually allow people to rest before they go to the next exercise? She's like, well, we don't let them rest. You know, they have to go from exercise A to B or one to two. And if there is time in between, we ask them to do jumping jacks because we got to keep, got to keep burning calories. Got to keep that, uh, got to keep the intensity high. You got to keep the, the heat up high. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's, but that's kind of commonplace even nowadays. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty, I think that's the misconception and you see it all the time on social media where people post, the hit workouts and you're just like it's like you said it's like three minutes straight of work and you know you can't go hard for three minutes like i think the easiest way to explain to people is you can't sprint a marathon you know yeah. uh so obviously as that as that protocol it only encourages less intensity from the individual and I, yeah i think it's just i think people misconstrue fatigue for intensity exactly and, yeah, and we so call that we call that the high tired training you know the yeah, HTT. Right? Yeah. And so, but, you know, and I don't want to come out sounding like a saint either, because as we were growing early on as fitness lying down, 
you know, some of our clients will still talk about this, how we had group training and maybe, you know, breaking it down the timed intervals. I feel like at least for the ones that I do, we're always playing with the EMOM, right? The every minute on the minute. So you do so many seconds of work, you take the rest of the minute to rest, top of the minute, you're back at it. And I think, you know, at least in the hashtag America um, vernacular, you know, you get to like a 30, 30 and it's like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's fair. But if 30 seconds of work is going to be good, what about 40 seconds of work? And then all of a sudden now you have to shorten your rest by 20, you know, to 20 seconds. Well, if 45 is good, maybe, or 40 is good, let's go to 45. Then you got 15. And there was even one, I'm going to confess, there was one protocol that we did was 50, 10, you know, where people work for quote unquote work for 50 seconds, but they'd have to rest for 10. And, you know, the thing that you find is you're talking about people confuse fatigue with intensity. So like, oh my goodness, I'm so tired. This must be such an intense session. And at the time we're thinking, yeah, it is because you're so tired. Um, but then, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't nearly lift any kind of weight that you could on the flip side of that. It always had to be a low weight, which there might be a time and place for that to some degree. Um, but then the other thing too, that we miss is that fatigue. I mean, if you're doing a session for 30, you know, 30 ish minutes, maybe 20, 20, 20, 30 minutes, the level of injury that could happen because of that fatigue, you know, people asking, I don't, man, I, I think about doing something consistently for 50 seconds, one exercise, I just start getting like tired. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it's one of those things where, yes, I mean, obviously injury goes up because I mean, you're just so tired, just muddling through it. Right. Mm -hmm. You're just trying yeah. to survive it. But I also think people are again, cause they don't dive into the science is that they're missing that when you do that, you don't get the post exercise oxygen consumption, the epoch, epoch. yeah, you know, <laughs> you know that, and that that's where all the hormonal impact of hit comes about. And that's what causes a lot of the fat loss. So when you go for the straight time, you're ignoring one of the key aspects that makes it valuable for fat loss. And, and to what you're talking about is that negative work to rest ratio where you work longer than you rest. And the best example of that is Tabata. And the, the rain joke is that uh, Dr. Tabata probably hates America uh, for like misconstruing his research, uh, which was based on elite cyclists. And it was not, wasn't actually about fat loss at all. It was actually just about VO2 max. And like, what a lot of people don't understand is, yeah, it was 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds rest for four minutes, but it was at such a high intensity, literally that the participants wanted to vomit. Elite and cyclists too. Elite I mean, we're not talking about your person. Yeah, we're not going like, you know, us, you know, going and jumping on a stationary bike. <laughs> um, so, I mean, number one, like, is that how hard you actually want to train? Like, are you willing to get to that point? Uh, two, like, there was also a buildup to that. And three, like the fitness level was already very high. And four, they didn't test fat loss. They only tested VO2 max. So we made the leap in the industry that that would be great for fat loss because, oh, you're really tired, right? It's really hard. But um, even when people do like the half hour, hour long tabas, they're doing the same thing. They're lowering the intensity unknowingly, which doesn't give them that result that they want. So it, it's okay. We've all made mistakes. I did the same thing too. I did, you know, negative work to rest ratios, but I think what makes a smart coach from a average to not great coach is that when the evidence is presented to you and it makes sense, you go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. I'm going to change. I'm not going to ignore it and just keep doing what I'm doing uh, in the light of it. So I think it's okay for all of us to go, Oh yeah, we use that strategy, but you know, we learned a better way of doing it. Absolutely. And that's just like, that blew my mind because when you came out, I think it was like 2018 maybe. And you came out with the MRT program with those, um, the DVRT MRT, um, I remember getting it and I was, I was just, I don't know, skeptical. My, I, I was skeptical, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, because you're doing something for so long and it's just like, well, this, you know, yeah. I'm getting tired and I, but I feel like I'm in shape or whatever, but then and all of a sudden I wasn't doing it that way. Most people were doing it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. And it really opened my eyes about how, you know, you think about hit and even if we stayed true to like where it should be when you're doing something with traditional gym equipment, you know, that it feels like the only way you can increase or decrease the intensity, as we talk about so many times, is to play with the load um, or play with the weight, I should say. So, you know, if you're doing a squat for 15 seconds and you're able to hit that range that we talk about, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, which is one of my weaknesses, you know, we just add on more load. But now when it came to the DVRT principles to apply to this, I mean, I'm still doing it today. I just did a MRT session with my staff this uh, morning. And it's something, you know, you hear so many people talk about 
you shouldn't do high intensity training every, or I don't know if every day, but you shouldn't be doing it all the time. And like, that's my go-to, but the way that I do this and my protocols are all totally different. Like I have my, I have my work capacity days to kind of rest, recover from more of a higher intense session. So I think maybe uh, getting back to, let's talk about that time uh, intervals, right? So we usually play with like a 15 on 45 off 20 on 40 off. And then the 30, 30, uh, kind of give us a little insight on that thought process. Sure. And a lot of the, the MRT stuff just came from dose because uh, strength coach Robert Dos Remedios, you know, when he works with his athletes and he's had some very high level athletes in pro sports and Olympics, like he's known for giving them great work capacity, the ability to do lots of work and recover from work. And he used a lot of this methods because he just looked at the science of hit and goes, well, this is how you'd actually use it. Uh, not the way that most of us were taught to use it. Um, and so I think what you're hitting on first and foremost, that's really important is that when we get to a lot of conditioning programs, I think in the industry, we don't give the same thoughtfulness to our programming that we would if we said we're doing a strength program or a corrective exercise program that people just do stuff to make you fatigued again. But I think to your point, you know, conditioning hit, whatever, you know, needs to be as thoughtful, if not more so than your, your average strength program, because there's more variables at play, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you want to make sure not to set people up to fatigue too quickly, because that defeats the goal. So, uh, you know, what you just mentioned was like a good, good baseline to use are these different work to rest ratios, which is what people should use and hit. Um, even doing MRT or otherwise, it's like, so a 30 seconds on 30 seconds off is great. If you're a beginner or you're new to hit because you're just not efficient enough to go hard enough, right? right. You're working movements, you're building up your fitness level. So you just need to do what's called more mechanical work. And so that's a good way of, it gives you enough time to get that work in. Because as you know, and you could talk to, talk about Corey, like a, a beginner, I think a lot of people think beginners can't do hit. Well, no, they can't maybe do a 1545, which we'll discuss, but they can do 30 30s because they need to build up that work capacity, they need to build up that mechanical work. But as you, like you said, as you progress, most people would go the opposite way. They'd give you more work, less rest. But as we discussed, we actually want to go the other way. So the more efficient you become in the, in the way to understand how to do the exercises, the, the harder you can go and the faster you can go and the heavier loads you can go because you're more movement efficient. And that's the way you can increase the intensity is actually by increasing or increasing the intensity through, like you said, load or the movement or the body position or the load position. And that way now, when you also give a repetition protocol with it, because I have a funny story about that, like then you give like a sense of urgency with that time frame, right? Like if I go, hey, gonna do 20 seconds of work and 40 seconds of rest to that you know trainer you said that I like came in and didn't understand it. Well, if without that additional context of, hey, in that 20 seconds, we're gonna try to get eight to 10 reps. Well, 20 seconds doesn't sound like enough for time to get real working. But now if I say, guy, get eight to 10 reps in that, 20 seconds. Now you're like, Oh, holy crap. I got to move. I got to move. Right. And that drives up the intensity versus just letting you go at your own pace. Right. So what we do is the more advanced you get, the lower you get to that 15, 45, 15 seconds of work four seconds. Right. And you need it because you're going so intensely. I, I give the analogy, like if someone were to like go outside and run down their street as hard as humanly possible, you couldn't do it again at the same level of intensity. If I gave you 10 seconds of rest, you, you need to have like 30, 40, almost 60 seconds of rest to do it at that intensity again. And so that's really what we're trying to achieve with that. What happens when you go the other way, like the negative work rest, like if you go that 40 seconds of work, 20 seconds rest, well, then you start pacing yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. yep. you know, it's so long that you don't go as hard. So it, people don't understand they're actually going against what HIT is trying to achieve. And that's why MRT is set up to go the opposite way because we're trying to increase the intensity uh, and give you that recovery because that recovery is where the good stuff happens, as I often say. No, true story. And, you know, I just think about when I started doing this and I started experiencing, you know, the whole the oxygen consumption afterwards, you know, I started noticing I was getting stronger. I was getting more efficient because I'm practicing to try to get maybe a high level of that rep range in the 15 or 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden it's like, I have a lot of options now. I could increase the weight of the bag. I can do all different things, which I'm going to love to talk about. Um, but I really got sucked into that. And I was like, you know, I, I feel like we should do this for the gym as well, you know, because we have our group training, which is going to be, you know, we spend about 20 ish minutes and, um, you know, it's a good program. Don't get me wrong, but I wanted to include like different days for this. So people had the opportunity kind of open it up more for our, the more, I don't want to say experience, but people that are more proficient in the movements. And I was amazed with how many people just ate it up. 
they loved it. Um, they loved the challenge of, you know, and like you mentioned, that rep range is so important because they would pace themselves 20 seconds. They have no, they have no idea what that 20 seconds means. But when you say you need to be getting six to eight reps, six to 10 reps in there, all of a sudden they have to really crank it up. And then you can dictate what's going on. And maybe you have to regress a little bit in the movement pattern so they can get that rep range without even changing the weight of the implement. Or maybe you need to uh, progress that movement pattern. So one of the examples I like to give is I think about a 1545. And you know, I think most of our people out here are kind of DVRT savvy. If I'm using a, a shoulder uh, holding position and I'm doing a sprinter stance squat, and maybe I'm able to get out there and, you know, I think in a 15, we're looking at five to eight reps. So maybe I started to touch upon that eight rep range, but now I want to take it up to another notch. You know, there's a couple other things that we could do here. One of my favorites is to take it from a sprinter, move it out to a split squat if we can. So now I've decreased the stability um, with my body position. And so holding that same bag in the shoulder position, even though I'm still, I'm still honoring the squat pattern to say it's become a whole lot more difficult. Now I won't be able, you know, I might not be able to get that eight reps. I might be sitting at six or seven, but I'm working just as hard, right? Oh, a hundred percent. This gives you the freedom, especially if you are doing it in a group setting where you can individualize what people need versus just, you know, like you said, like that, give an example over, you're going to do jumping jacks and while we're, you know, doing this and, you know, filling the time rather than actually programming and coaching people. So I think that's such a, such an important aspect of what this program allows you to do because you do you still need to customize it to to what people can do and where they're at in their industry but like you said when people go oh you can't do it all the time I'm like well one how often are people training like we just mentioned two three times a week really there's 168 hours in the week they can't do like and then you're not even doing it for the full hour right you're doing it for 15 20 minutes typically maybe up to a half hour if you're really proficient so now you're like at an hour and a half a week, you can't do high intensity training. Like I don't understand. There's like over 160 hours to recover. Um, exactly. So I think that's a, that's tends to be a pushback from people that I hate to be this guy, but I think Doe says it well, they just don't want to work that hard. Um, <laughs> they, they actually experience the intensity. They go, man, this is a lot of work. Like when people go, well, if this is so good, why, why doesn't everyone do it? Cause it's a lot of work. It is. It's right? not easy. It's not easy. So it's like easier to go try to find a flaw with it and go, we shouldn't do it that way than to actually put the work into it. Like you're mentioning from both the performance side, but also the programming side, like you're talking about, like being apt enough to go be thoughtful enough to go, well, this is how we're going to structure. It, and if this needs to be changed, this is what we're going to do to change it so that this person can still be successful with it. Yeah. And that's the thing that's beautiful about the programming part is to make it so people can last throughout it. Because if I just had a whole bunch of fast paced movements, you know, people get burnt out. So I kind of almost have like, I have to program a grind exercise, you know, one that's going to take a little bit longer. Um, then I'll get like a power clean something and just all these different ones. So it really, you know, when you get a good one together, I mean, it really, it's so effective. And I think, you know, the one thing we forget about too, when it becomes allowing for longer rest. So it's important for our clients to get that rest so they can come back at, you know, it might still not be the same level of intensity, but it's not going to be dropping as much as if we were doing only 10 seconds of rest. So have you, but we forget about the coaching. You know, if I only have 10 seconds between exercises to, to coach and help somebody get better, that's not going to be very easy. But if all of a sudden I got 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 45 seconds, I can really make sure everybody's where they need to be with the proper cues. And that allows so much more freedom in the coaching as well. Yeah, that's super important, right? Because, I mean, I just presented uh, down in Orlando, and one of my things was, like, we love to say that you can't out-train a bad diet, which is true, but you also can't out-train a, you can't out-cheerlead a bad program. Uh, and so I think what ends up happening to a lot of people during their hit classes, it devolves into just cheerleading, yeah. uh, and there's no longer any coaching. And part of that is definitely, like you said, the programming, but I also think the coaches don't know they should still be coaching, <laughs> uh, that they just think it's just to smoke people. And I think what you said and passing is actually really important. Like if you do a front loaded squat and then you pair that with, let's say a strict overhead press, that's a lot of high tension back to back. And that can cause people to fatigue faster versus let's say I do a front loaded squat. Maybe I do a push press, mm -hmm. you know, instead, like it's a little bit more quick, more, you know, reflexive. 
And, and so I think you learn some of these subtleties as you try to implement them. You make these little mistakes you're like, oh, that, that was really horrible. I shouldn't be doing that. It caused me to get tired too fast. And again, I think people think the goal is to see how tired we get. And the goal is still to get a positive outcome through the training. And, and we need to make sure that the programming reflects that. No, that's, that's spot on because for anybody out there listening, and I know my coaches listen because their employment depends on this. Um, but our own, like, you know, we posted on Instagram or whatever, like three days a week, our coaches are training together. It's a wonderful, like, it's just good for the team. But we're also coming up with, programs and we're trying to find out like what works well together so <laughs> to be, there are some days where we get done with a session and we're like that is going to get buried like we're going to put that we're going to tie something heavy to it and just throw it in the water because that should never ever be seen again um it's some days yeah we don't make the best choices and then what's great is like there are days i mean when you get the coaches that we have and they're so um steeped in dvrt and they love the mrt is that all of a sudden we'll start kind of like going off of each other's like suggestions. Like, what are you feeling today? And then they'll go there and say, like, well, we should probably pair that with this and then blah, blah, blah. And even if we did another exercise last week, it could be the same exercise, but because it's a different um, stew of exercises, now it's going to have a different feel of it. And it's just really amazing how you can make so much changes. And of all the times that I've done MRT from 2018, whatever to present day, it's not ever gotten bored. And I still get butterflies in my stomach when it's about to begin. Cause it's like, Oh man, this is going to be so, so tough, you know? And like, like Dose saying, like, I'm ready to put in the work. It's not going to be easy. But then sometimes in my mind, like I think about a 1545. So usually typically we have seven, seven exercises. We do five rounds of that. And that takes about 35 minutes to complete the entire thing. But when you break it down into the work, I think it's like seven and a quarter minutes of actual work, right? Like, um, which kind of makes me laugh about, I think about the six minute app guy. Was it from a yeah, dude, seven uh, minutes? Seven minutes would be silly. <laughs> right. Um, well, what's it five minutes? Five minutes would be silly. Was it five minutes? And yeah, we'll just send you the other minute free. Um, but there was, do you remember that machine that they had? Like it was like in the late nineties, early thousands where it's like, you can do five minutes of work and you're done for the day. Probably. Yeah. I think yeah. And I, I wonder if, because we have some, we have a gym in this area where they have this thing where they talk about, like they built a whole brand new machine for this but they almost like guarantee you like 10 minutes of work and you're done for the day. But it's actually from minute one to minute 10, then you're done. I don't know how much work they can actually get done where it's like, dude, you can do less work with us. It might take you a little bit longer, but the amount of like benefit, the strength, I mean, that's, what's great is the strength that you can give people when they can go 15 seconds as hard as they can and get eight reps of a power clean. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. And I, I mean, uh, the 10 minutes, I mean, that's as long as I tell Jessica I can clean for, but uh, I like to clean the house. <laughs> you but, got more uh, endurance than me, my friend. <laughs> well, I do a good work to rest ratio there. It's like 15, <laughs> 15, five, five minutes of rest for 15 seconds of work. Um, but I think what you're basically saying there too, is that again, when people think about conditioning, they don't think about building up the body, they think about just tearing it down. Exactly. And with what we're talking about is I can still build strength, I can get hypertrophy, I can get fat loss, I can get better stability and mobility, I can build that injury resilience. So the amount of things you can accomplish, it just makes it so much more efficient. So it's almost odd that people fight against the idea of only because it's hard work, but maybe something you can speak to, Corey, I think the hardest thing to teach people to do is how to reach that proper intensity. Yeah. Because if you've never worked that hard before, I mean, you've worked in strength conditioning before, so you know how to, you know, put how you need to push. But like, if you've never pushed yourself that hard, I think that that's something that takes more time to learn than actually any of the exercises. Would you agree? I, I totally agree. And I think for any coach to be able to push their clients to that point, I mean, they have to be steeped in this themselves, right? They have to, they have to know how it is to push themselves because, you know, I think about the clean and press tests and things like this is, you know, some of that is just, how do you, how do you, how do you respond to being tired, to being fatigued? Think about your clients, you know, because we, we put our clients through these workouts that we never, ever do ourselves. And, you know, it's just like, oh, they could do this. And it's like, you know, we're taking somebody that, you know, as fitness professionals, fitness professionals, we should be a little bit more conditioned. You know, we should be a little bit more in shape, quote unquote, where people coming in off the street aren't going to have that. They're not in the gym as much as we are, but yet we hand them these programs that we've made up that we wouldn't do ourselves. And then we expect them to do that. So it's good to have that taste of knowing how to push yourself so that when you can see somebody and having that rep range is amazing. 
um, as we talked about. So let's just say we're doing the front loaded squats and somebody's going out and, you know, maybe we're doing 20 seconds of it and we're asking people to get up to 10 reps, but they're maybe going to 12 reps in the 20 seconds. Now it's like, okay, let's take that bag from the front loaded position. And let's put the bag on your fist, same weight, same exercise. Now all of a sudden they're only getting 10, maybe nine. And so that's the neat thing is that you don't have to push the weight so much. Cause I think a lot of people, if you come over with a heavier weight, they're going to get scared, but if they're already comfortable with the weight that they're using, and then you just change that holding position. Cause a lot of people, they underestimate the holding position until they do it. And then, you know, if anybody out there knows going from a front loaded squat to a fist loaded squat with a heavy bag is no bueno, that is not fun, but it's, it's necessary. And especially our ongoing joke here at fitness line down is that you can do anything for 15 seconds. You can do anything for 20 seconds. Um, but yeah, it is fun to push your clients and allow them then. Cause then you see them eyeing up some of the bigger bags after a while. Like they get, they get more comfortable. They get more confident, I guess is what I say. And like, what if I tried that burly bag? I said, go for it. You know? And then they do it. Like maybe now instead of the front loaded squat, we go to a bear hug, you know, now they got that burly bag. So now that changed everything, it's still a squat. We're still working it still 20 seconds and we're staying within that rep range. Yeah. And, and that's perfect, right? That's, that's, the, that's the ultimate dream. And I think it's okay to have people a little bit apprehensive at first, and that's why the 30-30s work so well is to give them a taste of like, okay, this is how you need to work. And that's why the rep ranges become really important, like you said, because if I don't know what's like, how, how do I get myself, like, how hard do you really want me to work if you don't give me a goal? I remember a client, this is uh, back in the day when, uh, I, you know, escalating density training was big, which was like, you did like, you had like 10 minutes or 15 minutes on the clock. You see how many sets of like a certain amount, like five reps of pull-ups you can get or something like that. I remember doing that with a client of mine and he was always a funny guy. He'd be like, so I can do one set in that 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> so he was looking at the least amount of effort uh, he had to do. So like, but giving them a goal, like, Oh no, you need to do, you need to aim to get like eight sets in, in that 15 minutes. That gives you a sense of urgency. It gives you something to shoot for. And I think like what you're saying, like doing a group environment's great too. Cause you almost get like misery loves company idea. Like it's almost <laughs> appropriate to do by yourself. Right. Uh, because you're the, you got to push yourself. But like when you have other people going through the same pain, it's sort of like a, it's a, it's psychology. It's a shared experience. Right. Uh, and, and you get to like, and you get to be the bad guy, right? Like Corey's being horrible to us. Um, and so they get to all join in and hate you, but it's a great bonding experience and it makes it more enjoyable and possible to do versus I think when you're trying to do it yourself in your garage or something, it's, it's almost more, you have to be more mentally willing to push yourself because you don't have that. So it's great that you have that atmosphere and that community to do that with. No, for sure. And even like, that's the thing with the coaches thing that happened is a long time ago, I started doing the MRT by myself, you know, just figuring it out. And, you know, there's something about being alone and not pushing yourself as much. And then one day, one of the coaches was there and she was going to work out. And I said, do you want to try this out with me? She's like, yeah. And then she fell in love with it. And then we started to kind of make it a routine that every whatever days we'd get together and do this. And then as we got more coaches on board, um, fortunately their schedules usually work well enough that we can all do it together. And that helps us push each other. And then, as you mentioned, like some people, they, they see, they see how, how do I want to say this? Like they see somebody else more advanced in the workout doing it. And they kind of, they aim for that now. And the great thing about that is if, if we're working for 50 seconds, everybody's just dying, you know, there's just, but all of a sudden now you're kind of looking around like, wow, that person's using that big. I wonder what that would be like for me. You know, and it's just, it's great that you can make those solutions too, that if somebody's really struggling, you know, you can go from fist loaded to front loaded. You can go from a max lunge to a front loaded reverse lunge. You know, you can make all those, what we find to be subtle changes, but it helps people be successful that they can learn that intensity in an environment that's going to be safe and stable for them as stable as they need. Yeah, I think that's the great thing when you combine, you know, the MRT protocols with the DVRT system, because mm. I think a lot of times when people struggle with HIT, it's that they don't have either one, right? They don't really have a sense of purpose other than just to make themselves incredibly tired. Yes. And the other hand, like, how do I adjust this for people of different fitness levels to make sure that they're getting the appropriate stimulus and they're not either underworking or also not overworking themselves where they're not going to create, like you said, injury or maybe inappropriate response. So that's why I think, you know, it's such a great tool because you have these two blends of, you know, how do you use hip properly, but then how do we use progressions properly and program properly? Cause I mean, I took it off the internet for my presentation. It was a, a hip workout um, of 30 seconds of like mountain climbers, 30 seconds of planks, 30 seconds of burpees, 30 seconds of like up down planks. And like, it was basically being in a plank position for three minutes straight. 
And that's not programming, but like, does that make you tired? Sure, but that's not hit. And I, and I see that all the time, I'm sure you do too, but I think that's where people then get soured on hit because they just have a poor reference point of what hit should be. Yeah, I mean, all the posts on Instagram talk about your hit workout and they show something and it's like, either it looks like a lot of circus tricks or as you're talking about, it's just redundant movement patterns. Like we're going to do squats, lunges, jump squats, you know, split jumps and things yeah, like that. Of course you'll be tired, right? Like, yeah, right. It's, really and so people are like, yeah, well, that's that's stupid. I don't want to do that because, you know, it hurts my knees and I'm extremely tired. I'm just done for the day. Um, and I'll be honest with you, like even when I program for a personal training, in the back of my mind is the time protocols from HIT. So when I'm looking at a client and I look at an exercise or the program for that day, I'll intermatch. So I'm not saying like the whole day is going to be like a 1545 day for them because in the personal training realm, we're do dealing with sets and reps, right? So it's kind of allowing people to move at their own pace to some degree, you know, we kind of keep them on track. But if I'm going to give somebody a squat in my mind, it's like, would this be a 15 second squat, a 20 second squat or a 40 second squat? Then all of a sudden I can change the, the loading position. I can change the body position. Um, and for a lot of those new clients coming on, as we talked about in my brain, I'm thinking, what's a good 30, 30, uh, exercise for that person, you know, like hip hinging deadlifts for 30, 30. So we're not going to be front loaded because th front loaded for 30 seconds is a beast. That's not fun at all. No, um, it's no, it's, <laughs> it's not, um, it's almost, we got some clients that will call it a puker. Um, and th they're totally spot on, but yeah, it's, it's great how I can integrate something. Something is like high intensity is hit training, MRT training. I can bring it to that personal training level where I'm like, you know, I know that I can bear hug this really heavy burly bag six times in 15 seconds. So I'm going to give somebody a weight that's going to be heavy for them. And instead of like mindlessly program the 10 or 12 reps, which, you know, we pull out of nowhere, it's like, I'm, I want them to get six times. And then they're going to have an exercise afterwards. That'll be more of a, a 30, 30. So they can kind of rest a little bit as they're moving. And it really, you know, coach Joe says this too, right? It's not rocket science, but there is still a science to what we do. It's not, it's not throwing darts at the dartboard and just hoping something sticks. You know, and I think you're doing a great and great examples of how you're adjusting it for the individuals you're working with. I've heard some strength coaches say, oh, I don't ever do, they don't like, you know, high intensity resistance training because they're like, you should never have your conditioning and your strength training be the same thing. Well, that might be true if I'm training elite athletes where they can do a strength training session and we do conditioning later in the day, mm -hmm. right? Or vice versa. Like we get that luxury. But when you're dealing with a person who's going to work out two or three times a week, you have that hour of work that you got to do all that. And when you combine that with the research showing it benefits their blood lipid profiles, it shows, you know, improvements in insulin resistance, improves in cognitive function. Like, why is that not all positive for my general fitness clients too? Like, and that, I think that's how most of us would want to work out too, because, Hey, we're going to work out probably three or four days a week, whether it's because we're busy getting older, more commitments, whether all those things like, so why not maximize that time? But like you said, you need to start having a little art to it. You need to have that experience working with different people and seeing how the protocols function. Cause I think something that also goes unrecognized until you do it is that, for example, if I'm doing a front load squat and you say, do six to eight reps, well, I might go through the six to eight reps as a motion. Yeah. I'm not really like intent with it, but then you say, you got to do that in 20 seconds. Well, then I got to think about, how am I going to do that more efficiently? Oh, I got to really drive through my feet hard and I got to, you know, pull in. And so you start becoming, I think, more thoughtful about how you're going to execute those reps too, which is also helping the result that we get from the actual exercise program. And it's amazing. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's a great topic that you brought up and hopefully maybe this, I don't know if this snowball is somewhere else, but general pop versus the elite or the professional, you know, the professional, what do you call it? fitness lifters, whatever uh, models, things like this is, you know, the people that work a nine to five job per se, and they have to fit fitness in somewhere, you know, like two to three hours a week of strength training, you know, and I always tell people, I'm hoping you're getting, you know, well, I think sometimes if I'm going off on a tangent, but they come into the gym and, you know, it's that whole thing, like, do they not exercise because they hurt or do they hurt when they exercise? But all of a sudden now you give them that ability to come in, to get strong and not have that side effect of being achy and sore and hurt after their session that they start building more confidence, they actually become more motivated to do other things because they can do other things. And that leads them to do more activities outside of the gym, which is always my goal. You know, I know people are going to have to come to me for strength training, but I'm hoping that that strength training leads them there. And again, they have a busy schedule. So it's hard to fit in things here and there, but those other people like the elite athletes, you know, working with the bulls, I know that, you know, you, you come to practice in the morning, you know, your training sessions here in the gym, you're going to have some conditioning later on, but that's their life. You know, this is their life. If people are working out 
and winning prizes and getting money and endorsements, that's their life. You know, they have time to wake up and have a fasted cardio, um, eat breakfast, go to the gym and hit back and buys, take a rest, come back, tries and, you know, I don't know. Like they have all day long and that's what they do. Um, I, that's not a life for me. <laughs> I love, I love fitness. I love working out, but to do it all day long, I don't know. I love coaching and I love giving people, I love giving everybody that's around like the community, that ability to reclaim their strength, to reclaim their movement and to be able to help celebrate that outside the gym. Uh, sorry. I just got a little, I, I was at my soapbox. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I know. I think that's important to say because again, context as we were joking i think before that we jumped on is really important so when people go oh you know i wouldn't do that and you're like well who, who are you talking about like oh elite athletes yeah i probably don't need to do mrt for elite athletes because they have specific you know qualities they're trying to develop within their sport that we're going to train separately yada 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 but even like most people that go to the gym i think this protocol works for them like you mentioned i remember uh first starting out you know renting from the gym at you know for your five o'clock client you would see the hardcore fitness people there doing their fastest cardio and then later they come back in the day after work to do their lifting and like but that was like the way we were taught to do it but this is more efficient and i think exactly. people have a hard time going this is better um i i, I don't know why maybe it's because change is always difficult for people <laughs> like changing them that's what they've been told by their guru of who's done this since you know the last 20 years and that's the way they do it you know we've heard that before right but i think as far as like you know solving so many goals like what I'm building strength, I'm losing body fat, I'm moving better. What am I missing from this? And it's one of those things that sounds too good to be true, but the caveat is it's a lot of work. <laughs> That's the side. Yeah. I mean, if you're willing to put in the work, there's going to be a lot of benefits. And, you know, you mentioned about why don't people do this? And I think the change is a big thing. Cause like I mentioned, when the MRT program came out and I was looking at uh, the numbers that you're putting out there in regards to uh, the research and things, it was still like, it was a hard sell for me. I'm like, I just don't know if I could buy into this. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it just because I want to see how this goes and to apply DVRT to like hit. I thought that was interesting. And then the more I started doing it, the more I'm like, I started seeing the benefits, um, started feeling the benefits. And it only cost me like 35 minutes a day to really put in that work. Now that's of strength training. I still, still find time in the day to, you know, I call it going out for a walk for cardio, but I just do it for clearing my brain. So both things can be true at the same time. But now that I've gone down that rabbit hole so much more to put in an hour of work to exercise for me, is like, that's too long. 30 minutes, 35 minutes of hit. It's worth putting in the work for. Yeah. And I think we need to start, you know, I, I, I try to price myself because I still fall into doing this myself. It's like, there's a difference between cardio and aerobic, right? right. Yes. A lot of people will say, oh, I got to do my cardio. And that implies heart, you know, function and so forth, cardiovascular system. But it's also been shown that HIT is actually better for your cardiovascular function than aerobic training is. <laughs> so really the only function of aerobic training is if you want to use it for recovery or mental, you know, just well-being and just get more activity, that's great. But if you're doing it for fat loss, or you're saying this is more efficient for your cardiovascular system, that's just not held up by the evidence. So exactly. I, I think, you know, now are you going to make someone who's totally deconditioned and has other issues go right in a hit? No, but that could be like a goal down the road. Like just to give people a reference point, there was a study done in several years ago. I wasn't involved with it too bad. The cry could made it better, but they did. They compared a ultimate sandbag circuit hit circuit versus running on treadmill at different speeds. And basically they found that a eight minute, like actual eight minutes of work with the bags was equal to running on the treadmill at 80% max heart rate, which is you're moving, right? Yeah, you're running yeah. hard for 16 minutes. So we're just right there showing you double the time to get the same cardiovascular or, you know, benefits. I'm like, why, who wants to spend double the time if you don't have to? <laughs> Sounds like a bad consumer. No, I want the 16 minutes. I, I like, yeah. you know, well, it, well, I think it's a, it's a hard thing of faith because I think people go social proof. They look around, but everyone else is doing it this way. Right. And I understand right. that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the one thing though, is like, we, we even didn't even touch upon and that's fine, but um, I want to just give it some recognition is it's not just that brutal strength of what you can lift and produce for force. You know, if I'm doing a max lunge with a hundred plus burly bag for 15 seconds and I'm aiming for six reps on each side, that's a messy, uh, you know, like all the, I'm bringing the bag over. So I don't have to resist like the frontal plane motion because of the lunge and I've got some anti-rotation. 
there's so much more strength that could be built up in resisting a lot of that force. Um, lateral power cleans for 20 seconds. That's no joke. I mean, I get done doing that. And I, I just think to myself every time, I don't know why I do it. I'll, I'll program. All right, let's do lateral power cleans for 20 seconds on one side, 20 seconds on the other side. After the first set, I'm like, that was a bad life choice. Why do I keep doing this? But it's just that whole thing is like, it's worth the work. You know, I'm in the middle of it. It's like, this sucks. But then as you get like towards the end of the program, it's still sucking a little bit more. But when you get done, it's like, okay, that was so well worth it. And then the feelings afterwards, I just got to tell people out there, if you're doing a really good hit session, <laughs> the next morning might be a little tricky for you. Um, and it's, it's funny how many people do the session and they get done like, oh, yeah, that was a big workout for me. And then they come back maybe the next day for a group session or the day after. And again, I don't want to chase soreness. So I'm not putting that as a factor out there. But when you're doing the max lunges like that, and you're just so intent on the intention of that exercise, you kind of lose focus of what actually is happening. So then later on, there's like, I am so sore from that workout. You know, it's like, and we only did it for 15 seconds at a time. And that's, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's, it does put a big grin on my face, you know, but. I do think there's like a, an odd empowerment that comes from going through the program and something about challenging yourself, but also coming out on top that makes you feel good. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I, that was tough, but I did it, you know, and I, I knew that was going to be tough, but I accomplished it. And to your point about the brute strength thing, I, it takes me back to, you know, what sold me on what those was talking about was we were talking about in the realm of athletics. And you'll probably appreciate this, Corey, with your background in football, is that, you know, in basketball was my sport, like brute strength was never a thing. What it was like, can you repeat that effort? Right. And so Dose was always talking about like, we may not have always the strongest athlete, but we'll outwork you, meaning that they could repeat their efforts better. So it's great that you can squat 500 pounds one time, but what if you need to do it again and then rest and then do it again and then rest? Can mm -hmm. you do that? Most people yeah. can't. Right. And so it, it's like, how, how valuable is having that huge one rep lift? to everyday life or anything that you're going to actually do versus being able to repeat high intensity efforts over and over again. And that's going to correlate better to playing with your kids or doing your chores or just, you know, recovering from stress, you know, th those are, that's so much more beneficial to people than just trying to aim and chase out one rep ego lift. No, that's uh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, for those out there that do want to do that one rep max, I mean, okay, fine, fine on you. But we have to understand the practicality. Then the other thing too is I think about it this way, the stress that that puts on your body and the breakdown, you know, if you're always chasing kind of the three rep, one rep max, and you have to lift a lot of weight all the time. Now, all of a sudden, and I've mentioned this before, I don't know if I made a blog about it or a post somewhere, but the heaviest bag we have in our gym is 135, which in traditional <laughs> gym talk is really light. Sure. But when you understand DVRT and ultimate sandbags, that's not a, that's not a light sandbag. And so because I don't have to deal with like really heavy hundreds of pounds on my body and, but if I could change my body position, the holding position that I have to resist and produce at the same time, that's a strength that's going to make it more, I'd say functional, practical, but it's also going to not wear down my body as much. I'm going to be able to, I, I don't know if we talked about it one time, but people get done with some of these extra workouts and they almost waddle because they're just like, so, so sore and so like broken up. But all of a sudden, I still have that elasticity. I'm still fluid. I'm still ready to like go on with my day until about maybe 8 p.m. at night. Because then the neural just like sets it. I don't, it's not even the physical. I just get to the point where I'm laying on my couch, uh, reading a book or watching some of the kids. And I'm just like, I think I have to go to bed. I'm just, <laughs> the neurological component of that workout today really got me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I, I probably have only gotten hurt lifting maybe less, less than a handful of times, maybe like three or four times in 25 plus years and every time it's been chasing trying to chase high lift numbers it's never actually been doing hit work no that, and same for me and so it's, it's it's kind of funny when people think oh it's dangerous or it's too much it's like i don't i just i i, I think people are trying to get people out to doing the hard work yeah. uh and you know i don't want to judge anyone for that but you know don't don't hurt the messenger don't hurt the method because you just don't want to do the work that's fine um, but we got to understand what the benefits and like who we're talking about and how much it could make what we all want to achieve with them that much better. And like you said, I mean, conversely versus like, I mean, a, a friend of ours teaches spin 
And she, her way of teaching spin is just to go hard as you can all the time. Well, she never looks at wattage output or things like that, like recovery. Like So again, it infiltrates in a lot of different areas that we think fatigue is the goal where we don't realize the training is just a means to gain the outcomes that we want. We want that, like we talked about, the better cosmetic and the better functional goals. Yeah, you put too much input, you're just not gonna get enough out, you know, you're not gonna get high quality output and that output and especially the recovery point after that, not just inside the session, but I mean, we could open up a whole new book about um, not inside the session, but outside the session too, in regards to nutrition and hydration and sleep and things like this. Um, I don't know that I think we touched upon pretty much all the points of uh, a DVRT, MRT, HIT, HIIT, all those, all those letters. Um, any horrible examples to post on social media, right? For everyone to try. <laughs> right. I'm just going to go hit DVRT, MRT. Um, any, any uh, closing thoughts that you have, Josh? Yeah, I think once you get into it, a lot of the, I mean, at first it can be overwhelming that you're, you know, trying to implement all these variables, something you could probably speak to, but then I think it becomes almost reflexive over time and you start to learn like all these ways to mix things in like you don't always have to do a 1545 the whole workout like you said i think you said like maybe one's a 1545 one's 30 30 and like you start to see that you can have a lot more flexibility in the programming but at first try to keep it simple for yourself and just understand like don't go for the hardest thing right off the bat maybe start ingratiating yourself with like 30 30s but being more intentional trying to hit like that 10 to 15 rep range and start understanding how to select the better exercises you know because you no know, bicep curl is not great for hit um you know and, and like you said not avoiding that movement redundancy isn't a great idea either so i think it's just giving yourself time and looking at examples you provide so well on your social media of how you can intermix those qualities and make it simple and then you start to have like inspiration you can control it and you start to make it your own little art yeah that's what happens is you just you start small and you you get to understand better the the system the philosophy and then as you talk about it, it becomes art you start you start just painting by yourself for a while, trying to figure out how this works. And then you find the right combination of exercises. And it really is great, you know, for the for ourselves that do it and for the people that we serve. It really is a win-win. And there is also um, more thing. I mean, Corey does have some great programs on our DVRT Fitness website that you I was yeah, I was gonna do. say I'm gonna I'm gonna put those links in the show notes. <laughs> um, I, you know, it is my podcast. I can I can promote myself. Well, it's so, a really good programs too, and there are ways for people to see how to do it well. Yes. So I appreciate that plug. And I will be putting those, uh, that link in the podcast uh, notes there. So uh, Josh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to talk about MRT and DVRT and sandbagging with you. My pleasure, but I appreciate you giving me the time. Thank you very much. And for all of you out there, until the next time that we meet, Godspeed.